Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And we are here with a requested film today. Very timely for the Valentine's Day season. A love witch. This is technically a horror film, comedy horror, but it's definitely not the scariest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I said this to Elise prior to recording. It reminds me a lot of Suspiria, where it's very pretty, (laughs) and it has a lot of fun visuals and some fun dialogue. If you're looking for a typical narrative structure or a straightforward slasher or even like just a straightforward horror movie, I wouldn't say this is your bag. But if you're into something more experimental and period PC, yeah, this should be a fun ride for you. Absolutely. We'll start with our ladies. First of all, the movie was written and directed by Anna Biller, and she doesn't have a ton of main title accolades, but she has done a lot of short films. We're starring Samantha Robinson as our girl, Elaine Parks. She has a lot of short film roles and an appearance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from 2019. We have Laura Waddell as Trish, which Shay and I both agree looks so familiar. She has been in a small number of films as well. So now we just have to decide what actress she looks like. (laughs) We have Jennifer Ingram as Barbara. Elle Evans as Star. She appeared in the Blurred Lines music video, and she is one of the faces for NYX Cosmetics. And then we have Fair Michaela Griffin as Moon. So moving into the pre-plot trivia, there's not a ton of trivia for this movie. It seems like there's a lot more rationale, which I thought was really interesting. So while writing the script for The Love Witch, Biller, our director, had been reading relationship self-help books, and one particular piece of advice that stuck out to her was that if a woman wants to keep a man around, she should love him less than he loves her. Have you seen that idea trending on TikTok right now? I don't think so. I have seen this coming up again and again, this idea that the only way like a heteronormative relationship would work is that if a woman loves a man less than he loves her. And I think that's really interesting, especially because this isn't the first time elements of this movie have become popular on TikTok. Now, I can't say that this stems directly from the movie, this specific TikTok trend or this specific quote that has been appearing in a lot of different TikToks, but... Again, even though this movie is really obscure, it seems like a lot of its principles or themes have been appearing in the mainstream, which is kind of cool. Biller noticed a parallel between this advice and the female characters in classic cinema who love someone to death, like Ellen in Leave Her to Heaven from 1945. So she decided to create the character Elaine in the same vein. So we're going to see what it really means to love someone to death. Anna Biller said she chose a witch as the protagonist because they are such a powerful historical trope in terms of women's sexuality that's been handed down through millennia. She added that she bases stories on her own life experiences as a female and then looks for characters and settings that are cinematic, where she can use symbols and imagery to tell a story. The witch is the perfect iconic figure in which to discuss all of these issues. And finally, this film is purposely made to resemble campy 1960s movies. And campy it is. The campiest thing I think I've ever seen. Sleepaway Camp is maybe a little more campy oh. than this. The mesh tank I mean, top. it's in the name. What can you say? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, the style of this movie is not straightforward 2010s, what we're used to at all. Like it really feels like you're watching like an old Audrey Hepburn-esque type of film. But that's purposeful. And I think that's important going into it that you realize this is, again, more of an artistic piece rather than it is like a straightforward 2016 narrative about witches. Absolutely. I mean, everything about it, like this acting style, even the way that all of the men look so much older than Elaine, which old movies always do that. And it's crazy to me. I should really look into that because it has been boggling my mind for a while now. How come all of these men look 45 and the women look 20? But I do have a piece of pre-plot trivia, not from IMDb, that I thought would be valuable to establish, which has to do with like the intentions of the film and whatnot, that I think would be valuable to keep in mind as we move through the plot and talk about some other elements as well. So this is from an article that I'll get into later from a website, Girls on Tops. Which this article was so good, but I couldn't find an author and the website seems so obscure, which maybe it's not, maybe it's really well known and I just haven't stumbled upon it yet. But I was like, how come this is such quality content in such a random place? (laughs) But anyway, the article writes, in a discussion on her 2016 film, The Love Witch, filmmaker Anna Biller wrote that she thinks of her work as a, quote, horror movie designed to scare men in the sense that men are the victims and they are not empowered. The Japanese-American director goes on to state that the film will scare men because of its refusal to stifle girlishness. Quote, it contains scenes of women talking together obsessively about love in ratified female environments. I think of lace curtains and dollies and tea accessories, for example, as scaring men. This reminds me a lot of our discussion about teeth. When you and I watched Teeth, we were like giggling. I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. But then the men we were watching this with were like pale in the face. And they were so like (laughs) afraid of the idea of like, oh my God, I'm gonna lose my dick or whatever it is. But Uh we see this as just, ooh, get it girl, revenge type of movie. Yes. It's even interesting because being a woman who dates women, watching some of this, I felt a weird split into who I was identifying with at any given part of the movie. And obviously, being raised and socialized in women's spaces, I'm used to those tea time discussions in my youth. But as I've grown and kind of moved to a more masculine way of approaching love, relationships, dating, some of the things that like Wayne says, for example, I found myself a little bit identifying with. And I don't know how much of that is me deprogramming patriarchal ideas of if you pursue women, like this is how you must pursue women type Hmm. of things, because I certainly don't identify with the men in this movie. But it was interesting in how put off I was by some of this like tea time conversation or how much of the ick (laughs) Elaine gave me some of the time being like, oh my gosh, like if this was somebody that I was pursuing, that would be somebody I'd be like, like that kind of thing. So it was super interesting for me looking at this, knowing that it was placed in a very binary sense of men think this way, women think this way. And as somebody who floats in the middle of those types of things, trying to be like, hmm, how do I think about these things? I don't know, like, I do think the overt femininity and the overt, like, transparency, I think, some of this language and dialogue has about what women want Mm -hmm. and how plain and simple it is can be very terrifying when placed in front of men who are socialized not to talk about those types of desires at all. They're taught to accept those desires 
I think of some of the dialogue later in the movie, like continue on your legacy, Mm -hmm. but not want to give in or fall into that sense of romanticism that women are taught to want and venture for. So very interesting. I think too, thinking about what you said and the discomfort that we might feel in this very black and white setting, I also felt that. And especially with Elaine. And part of that, I think, comes from the fact that I don't think that she even has it fully figured out for herself. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lack of confidence in Elaine's characterization that is something that contributes to that feeling when we watch her on screen. And maybe if she was more... I don't want to say confident because she is confident, but maybe if if we were getting the sense that she was being more genuinely fulfilled, it might be different because then we could be like, go girl boss, woohoo. But it wasn't always like that. No, she's compromising herself at every turn, which makes it so much more uncomfortable to watch as like, no girl, don't do that. (laughs) And I will say just a quick note, going back to your comment before about watching teeth with a man. I watched this movie with a man and he ended up leaving halfway through it. I can't say he was scared, but I don't think that this movie spoke to him. And I thought it was interesting seeing the physical up and out of the room. (laughs) And I can't really even say that I blamed him. But still, I think you said it so perfectly in the beginning. If you're interested in like an experimental, conversational, artistic piece, I think there is a lot to this movie that is worth exploring. And so that's exciting. So let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. So we open with... I keep describing this as very Audrey Hepburn in terms of like the cinematography and even the fact that our main girl Elaine kind of looks like her just in terms of makeup characterization. Again, just very 60s stylization. So she is driving her red car through mountainside and I wrote, LOL, unhinged women telling the cows about the new life they're going to lead trope because (laughs) we just covered Pearl. (laughs) But she's talking to herself, talking about this new life she's going to have now that Jerry, her old lover, is out of the picture. We see that there's tarot cards and cigarettes in her passenger seat, along with all of her luggage. She is chain smoking and seeing visions of her old lover, Jerry, dying by poison in front of her. So what are we doing? And we still don't know what we're doing because then we're thrown into a naked and kinky looking ceremony in terms of flashback. We have Elaine kneeling naked in front of a cloaked man with a bunch of naked people standing around (laughs) them. Her hands are bound. She is blindfolded. We zoom back into the present as she's driving into the Three of Swords tarot cards sitting in her passenger seat. Now, we see tarot cards a lot through this movie. A lot of tarot spreads. So I consulted my fifth favorite website or our our fifth favorite website, thetarotguide.com. Oh, so we need to make a list and put this on like our Instagram bio. No one's going to get it except (laughs) maybe like three people (laughs) of all of our favorite websites. But according to this website, the upright Three of Swords portrays heartbreak, betrayal, loneliness, sorrow, disorder, difficulty and hardship. So that is certainly something that she must be going through right now. And it continues because then she proceeds to get pulled over by a handsome cop. Yes, but Elaine gives this man a look. The camera zooms in on an extreme close-up of her eyes. We hear a little sound effect and the police officer then lets her go. So again, sewing this idea that she is a witch, she has powers of persuasion, and she is able to continue driving her little red convertible down the gorgeous scenic road where she continues to have a voiceover and says, according to the experts, men are very fragile. And then she arrives in my dream home. I thought about how you would love this very purple house. 
Okay. <laughs> this is a purple Victorian house. And this is one of those times that I would like to transport myself there. But Elaine pulls up. And then she is greeted by Trish, who is somebody that used to live in this building and is a friend of Barbara, who is a person who owns the house. We don't know much about Barbara yet, except that Elaine used to dance with Barbara in San Francisco, and that's how they know each other. And this puts Trish a little bit on edge because you can tell like Trish is dressed in all peach. She looks like a librarian, almost like she's very homely. I don't know, like she looks very different in terms of her femininity as opposed to how Elaine looks where she's dressed in all red, everything, her luggage is red, her car is red. She's got the black hair, like she's looking very Barbie. Yeah, a little Just bit. With black hair instead of blonde. Trish shows Elaine her apartment and this apartment is fucking rad. It's the coolest apartment I've ever seen. Add this, this is number two of me definitely wanting to transport myself to this Victorian house. There is indigo carpet, indigo walls, red walls. The colors remind me of the craft. They're very 60s, but they also kind of evoke that 1960s colorful witch aesthetic that really was popular at that time as well. Also, tits everywhere. There, <laughs> there are naked women everywhere. There's <laughs> pentagrams everywhere. There's a lot of occult paintings. Also, most of these naked women, if not all of these naked women, look like Elaine. Like they are made in her image. And we also find out that Elaine is an artist. So maybe she has commissioned some of these paintings at least or posed for them or created them herself. But there's no denying the likeness of the painting subjects and Elaine herself. So they decide to go for tea together. And in this tea room, we are all pink. And again, this is giving to this overly stylized 60s vibe where there's just this, like, I wrote extra out of Midsummer playing the harp (laughs) in the front of the room. And like all of these women are dressed in pink and having very classic English tea where there's like these tiered cake pans and teacups and they're all just sitting and talking and Elaine and Trish are getting to know each other. Trish is married and she asks Elaine if she has any fairy princess fantasies herself. And she says, of course, we may be grown up, but underneath we're all just little girls dreaming of being carried off by a prince on a white horse. I don't think I found my prince charming yet, but I think I found the formula. If only I knew what I knew now, then Jerry would have never left me. And then we start getting flashbacks to her and Jerry together. And I wrote, girl, why are you upset about Jerry? He looks busted and he looks like Chop Top. (laughs) And those are just for people who have seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Then you know exactly who Chop Top is. But he's not cute. If you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, (laughs) he looks like... What's Mick Jagger? He does look like Mick Jagger. He looks a little bit like Mick Jagger. Mm -hmm. Evoking also slight Willem Dafoe. Also, we get this interesting dialogue moment where Elaine is recounting Jerry leaving her. And she says, the day he left me is the day that I died. And was reborn as a witch. And that might sound familiar to you because this is the second instance where TikTok is going to come up today because this was a TikTok sound. Was it? Yes. So I actually have something about it that I'm just going to briefly paraphrase. But if you're interested in learning more, this is from an article, Johnny Don't Leave Me, How the Witch and Pomplamoose Enchanted Hashtag Revenge Talk by Allison Foreman. And it was written last February in 2022. 
So in her article, Allison Foreman basically just talks about how there was a trend where this song called Johnny Don't Leave Me would play after a voiceover of Elaine saying the day he left me is the day that I died. And there was this whole transition trend where when Elaine's voiceover would play, you were supposed to appear sad and upset and disheveled, but then you would rotate your camera in a certain way so that when the song started playing, you would have your glow up moment. Mm. And so it became really popular on Revenge Talk. Honestly, to the point where when she said this dialogue right away, I knew that this was from TikTok, which I think is again so interesting because this movie feels so obscure would have never been on my radar unless somebody requested it for us. But it, again, feels like it has permeated the mainstream somehow in some of these subtle ways, which I think is really neat. It also kind of reminds me, because in watching this movie, there was a lot of stuff that was similar to The Craft for me and about how that TikTok sound was like, you don't even exist to me. And we had no idea that that was like where it was from (laughs) and like that it was like a huge thing. So it is funny about how like witchcraft movies are really just taking over like lady empowerment TikTok. Seriously, no accident there. I mean, the witch, the symbol of the witch. They continue on in this conversation about what men actually want. And Trish even asks Elaine, well, what do men want? And this just reminded me of Ginger Snaps where Bridget says to her mom, mom, what do men want (laughs) when they're trying to hide Trish in the freezer? Do you remember that scene? Oh my gosh, yes. Wait, so many Trishes. Exactly. I was like... I was thinking of Esther and her mom mom Trish. Trish. Oh wow, there's a lot of Trishes. You're so right. But this is where we get a lot of dialogue where literally Elaine sounds like she is a pre-download from the patriarchy. Men just want a pretty woman to love and take care of them and to make them feel like a man and to give them total freedom in whatever they want to do or be. And I was sitting here being like, the fuck? And then finally Trish comes in with some logic being like, well, what about what we want? How are we going to be equals to men if we keep catering to all of their needs? And Elaine tries to rationalize saying, I think if you want love, you have to give love. Giving men sex is unlocking their love potential. And she even responds like, you sound like you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy. (laughs) Your whole self-worth is wrapped up in pleasing a man. I'll admit I use sex to get this. And she points to her wedding ring, but I'm not proud of it. A whole world doesn't revolve around a man's needs. If I gave Richard, her husband, sex every time he wanted it, I'd be a wreck. Elaine says, poor Richard, he loves you and wants you and you torture him. You have to give a man his fantasy. What I'm really interested in is love. You might say I'm addicted to love. I wonder if all women feel that way. And Trish is like, a husband's not a prince. Things aren't always fairy tales. You have to face that. And Elaine says, maybe life could be a fairy tale if you please your husband more. Shit. It is such an uncomfortable conversation. I was cringing the entire time. And to put a cherry on top of that cringe, Richard then walks into the tea room to say hello to his wife, Trish, and locks eyes with Elaine. That iconic scene flashes where we get a close-up of Elaine's blue eyeshadow eyes, implying that, uh uh-oh, maybe some kind of spell has been cast or will be cast. So, oh my gosh. Blue eyeshadow is dangerous territory. We know this from Pearl. Yes. Well, X, technically, but still. Back at the apartment... Elaine performs some kind of ritual with various herbs and materials and prays to goddess, hoping that she will find a new lover. She is ready to get back in the game. Afterwards, she heads into town where she meets a lady named Wendy who owns, again, a very craft-like town shop. 
And Wendy agrees to sell some of Elaine's soaps, witch bottles, and things like that that she makes on her own as an artist. And after she leaves, she goes to sit on a bench in maybe like the town square. She reflects on becoming a witch. She thinks to herself, all that it is, is using your will to get what you want. And just then, she spots a man. She, I think, just looks at him. He's talking to a woman who ends up coming back into the story again a little bit later. But after he sees Elaine, he randomly abandons that conversation and moves over in her direction as if she is a magnet drawing him toward her. And they immediately start talking. And you can tell that they are just into each other, sharing so much information about each other. For example, this man, Wayne, tells Elaine he has a house in the woods about an hour away that he likes to take dates to. And Elaine is just like, great, I'll make us dinner. Let's go. I literally said she mag pixies her way into a date. Because <laughs> even she, she's like, you look like a boy who loves nature. Like, <laughs> like she's trying so hard to be his ideal because he has this long swoopy hair, this long beard. He looks like this educated type. I literally like wrote down, this looks like the redacted professor that you had a crush on in college. Oh my gosh. Yes, I did. <laughs> Just a small one. Just a small one. It turns out he is actually a professor. Yeah. So, I mean, get that like brown corduroy coat in your head and like, that's it. Baby blue shirt over mm -hmm. khakis, but with a nice little vest and the long swoopy hair. This man is doctor. <laughs> so it is nighttime they arrive at the house i wrote this is giving fresh vibes didn't you think that like arriving to this weird house that you don't know where it is or where it's going but like, this time elaine the lady has the power yeah but you wouldn't think so because wayne comes on to her very quickly like as soon as they get to the house he's like i want to make love to you right in this car and she's like mm, no <laughs> she offers him something she made from a flask in her purse in situations like this, I could only think of when the gender is flopped, like how that would look in any other situation. Like a guy pulls out a flask from his bag. You don't know what's in it. He's like, oh, drink this thing that I made. And the fact that this man feels so confident in this situation that no matter what's in the flask, he'll be fine and he can't get taken advantage of. And the fact that he does is so interesting to me. But he drinks this entire flask upon her request and tells them they should go inside. He's trying to seduce her again and again, but she insists that she's going to start dinner. And I wrote, it's interesting that her opening characterization is all about just giving men what they want, but she keeps denying his advances to do what she wants. Make him a romantic dinner, not have sex in the car, go inside, like all this type of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, my jaw is dropped. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So as they're eating, Wayne mentions that he feels a little weird, which is where Elaine lets him know that he has consumed hallucinogenics. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he doesn't seem too disturbed by that. He actually seems kind of excited. Like he has a wild lady on his hands. Exactly. Which is, again, going back to your comment about if the genders were flipped here, it would be so scary. <laughs> It again reminds me of that old-fashioned scene in Fresh where he's like, oh, tell me what flavors you taste and makes her drink this drink and then, you know, she's passed out or whatever like that. And I wrote, he begins to trip as she begins to strip because she has this rainbow-lined coat. It's like a black coat with a rainbow on the inside and he gets all tripped out and he's like, <laughs> you have two selves, the dark and quiet that you show the world. Who do you give the rainbow to? And she's like, I give the rainbow to you. You can make love to me now and like strips 
I wrote, there's a lot of fanciful colors in editing from what appears to be a mildly disappointing missionary sesh. Like, we're very, <laughs> we're very focused on Wayne fucking Elaine and his perspective where there's all these colors and swirls, like he's very much tripping. But if you look at the expression on Elaine's face, it's not a very satisfactory sensual experience. You know what I mean? I agree with you. I agree with you. It doesn't seem like she's very present in the moment beyond maybe basking in her securing this man for the moment, but it doesn't seem like she's actually getting any like sexual pleasure from their encounter. Oh my God, this fucking cracked me up. So <laughs> so afterwards, Wayne is getting some post-sex clarity, saying that he feels strange and that he's getting upset. And he says, no woman has ever given herself to me like that before. You're not like the other women I've met. No games, no agendas. You just seem to take life as it is. And I was like, bitch, as if. <laughs> like, it's the idea that... Again, I haven't dated men in a long time, but the idea that like <laughs> men think that the way they perceive women is precisely as they are, not thinking that women have planned a million fucking steps to get exactly where they are with that man in that moment, in that time, like makes me think of that song Mastermind by Taylor Swift. Like, yes. Like literally the idea that he thinks that Elaine is just this manic pixie dream girl that's like, oh, I didn't plan this. I didn't plan that. La la la. As if she didn't make like a hallucinogenic berry vodka concoction <laughs> in the case that she just met a man. I mean, obviously she had like some kind of agenda for the day. Maybe it wasn't him, but the fact that we know her to be this obsessive person at this point and she's doing things very intentionally to like make him comfortable and to trip him out and to do all of these types of things and he's like you're just like this amazing person you're just who you are and <laughs> you know he even goes on to say the women I've been with all want you to make a bunch of promises to them as soon as you sleep with them, but how can you commit to someone if you don't know them? I never thought I wanted to be tied down to anybody, but it's just because no one was ever quite right. I feel like I spent my whole life being a loner, thinking I don't need anybody, but now I'm not so sure. Oh, Elaine, I've never felt real love like this before. I'm scared. I'm not used to feeling things so strongly. And this is all like the love potion coming out, right? Like all of this type of stuff and it's vulnerability, but she's acting like she's receiving this ingenuineness and that she's deserving of all of this when mm -hmm. we know that she's manipulated the situation to get exactly what she's receiving right now. And meanwhile, he's crying. Yeah. Like fully crying and obviously being very clingy with Elaine since, you know, like you said, he's feeling like she is this woman that he has been waiting for his whole life, like hot and spontaneous and smart and whatever. But pretty quickly, we see that Elaine is not really into this. In her dialogue, she <laughs> reflects, what a pussy, <laughs> what a baby. <laughs> Which she says to herself as we hear Wayne sobbing in the background. Were you laughing so hard during the scene? I was. She's just chain smoking cigarettes <laughs> and he's crying out for her. And she's like, I thought I found a real man, but he's like a little girl. <laughs> but then it's important. Like no one was ever there for me when I was crying my heart out. So we begin to see some of her intentions here. We begin to see that she's perhaps not in this for this lifelong white horse, very princess, prince charming adoration that she has professed to Trish, but maybe that she has been put in a heartbroken position for so long that now that she wields some level of power, she's getting off on doing this to other men. You know, I feel like that is a really interesting perspective. Like she recounts her breakup with Jerry and the pain. She said, the day he left me is the day I died. But there is so much power coming back from that, like moving forward. And like for her, it's like we're seeing her move towards revenge. 
she has this certain amount of apathy now from a healed, broken heart. Like she carries that darkness with her and she can just go and meet these men and do with them what she wants. Which again, what she wants, not even what they want. So abruptly, it is the next morning, Elaine freshens her hairpiece, which by the way, she's wearing like a hairpiece wig situation. She has like a full wig and also like a hairpiece that just volumizes her hair, which I love for her. I would like to get myself one as well. (laughs) She gets her period. So she puts in a tampon and then she makes breakfast. She walks into Wayne's room, tries to feed him what she has just made. He tries to eat, but does a lot more crying. (laughs) So she urges him to get some rest. Back out in the living area, she pulls tarot cards. And I got the interpretation from our favorite website, thetarotguide.com. So (laughs) she gets the upright three of swords again. So if we remember heartbreak, betrayal, loneliness, sorrow, disorder, difficulty, and hardship. And there was a third card. I could not tell what it was because it didn't have a name on it. So I don't know what the third one was. But the other one was the tower. And the tower is like the scariest card you can get in the deck from what I've read. From what I've read. The tower means sudden upheaval, chaos, destruction, loss, tragedy, and pain. Like people think the devil is like the scariest thing in a tarot deck. But that I think is just about rebirth a lot of the time, depending on which way it flies your way. I'm not a tarot baddie. Please don't come for me. But (laughs) from what I understand, from what I understand and from what I hear being on tarot TikTok and all these tarot baddies trying to tell me things on my For You page all the time, (laughs) like you're having a tower moment. Like a tower moment is a scary thing. It's not a good reading that she got. Well, right after she pulls those cards, she goes back in to check on Wayne since it is late into the afternoon. And when she tries to wake him up, she sees that he is dead. She loves spelled too close to the sun. She did. Our Lady Icarus, here to stay. So she goes about burying his body (laughs) outside in like a little patch outside of the house. She creates a witch bottle, which is like a glass bottle containing her pee and used tampon from earlier and a couple of herbs. And she corks it and buries it along with him. And then she leaves the next day in Wayne's car and heads back into town. So back at her apartment, she is doing some painting. She's dressed like it is 1865, complete with hairdo and dress. She looks incredible. I wrote, I want to be her. This is another moment I would like to transport there so I could try on some of the things in her wardrobe. Trish comes over to check on her and they drink tea together. Trish mentions that she is going to go to Dallas for a little bit on business. So Richard will have to fend for himself for a while. And Elaine's face suggests that she might be interested in Richard being on his own for a little while. Later, this is where we finally meet Elaine's friend Barbara at a burlesque show in town. This is like the headquarters of this coven or like a really common meeting spot for this coven. It also establishes that there is an us versus them, though, because the cocktail waitresses and the bartender are talking to some regulars prior to us meeting Barbara, where they discuss about how there was a murdered man with a pentagram carved into his chest found in the river. He was like, oh, these witches, these witches. And then the camera pans right over to Barbara in a lane, which I thought was funny. (laughs) So it is showing that this town is knowledgeable of the witches' existence and the things that they do. But this is a place where they also operate out of sometimes. As they're at this burlesque show, 
Elaine is recounting with Barbara her loss of Jerry. And she mentions the guy that she had been seeing is gone too. And then they're met by some other witch who's a dude whose name is Gan. He warns her against using love spells. So perhaps Elaine has a history of using love spells. Gayan is like, hey, be careful what you wish for, essentially. But then there's some reflecting on the power of female sexuality, which I think is so interesting considering why they choose to meet up at this burlesque bar. They're doing a lot of reflecting on the power of the female body, of dancing, the sensuality that can be evoked from these dance moves, the natural power that comes with these dance moves. And this is where we meet Star and Moon. It seems like they are students new to the coven. They later are referred to in a way that makes me think they're meant to represent the Gemini twins. So then I was curious and I looked up what astrological sign Elaine was. And I read something that said she was an Aquarius. I was getting a lot of like Pisces cancer energy from her because of the focus on love, emotion, all that kind of stuff. Well, remember when who's a Pisces in this movie? Uh, yeah. It was Wayne. She was yeah. like, what do you expect for a Pisces? Yeah. Because he was crying and he was so emotional. Oh my god. I love that. You're also dating a Pisces. So. I am dating. A I am dating a man Pisces. <laughs> you are dating a man Pisces. So you say. can speak from experience. So I can. I can laugh at this. Okay. <laughs> but this is where I really began to hate Gayan. Because first of all, he greets Elaine by kissing her chest and then tries to kiss her lips. And she's like, mm, no. It seems ceremonial, but also a little gross. But then we start to have this really cool moment where Gayan and Barbara are talking about their intentions. But you could tell the way that Barbara talks about women and the way that Gayan talks about women, it sounds like it's the same, but it's different. So Gayan says things like, all witches need to find where their power lies. We feel as though a woman's power lies in her sexuality. We don't view this power as satanic or anti-feminist, but as a celebration of a woman as a natural creature, an earthly body, a spiritual essence, a womb. Oh, I don't remember that word. The W word. He says that. And even like the idea of talking about women can be sexual because that is their nature. And it's like, yes, but also the fact that you're saying that and you end that sentence with womb is gross and I'm going to vomit. But then Barbara comes in talking about the history of witchcraft, saying they burned us at the stake because we made people feel turned on. Then they enslaved us into being whores and servants, fantasy dolls, wives, never asking us what we wanted. Gayan goes on to say, so goddesses, use perfume, wear high heels and makeup, learn to dress your hair attractively, display flesh artfully, and know what to conceal. Be a mother and a lover. Stand your ground, but always let a man feel like a man. You're still underlining these things and dressing it up as feminism or dressing it up as empowerment because you're still very much enjoying this. And we get further characterization with Gayan that shows us that his sexual satisfactions are still overriding this lady coven that mm. he is heralding. And that's why I think he's one of the most insidious characters in this movie, because you're not anticipating him to be. You don't see him very much as a threat until he sexually assaults Elaine later in the movie. Yes. He's this person that is espouting all of these presumably feminist ideals. But when you look at what he's saying and how he's saying it versus the way that Barbara's saying what she's saying, Barbara's open to the idea of women still being the most powerful person in that interaction where Gayan is saying, make a man feel like a man. I think it is right here where we get the flashback to Gayan's assault. 
after this conversation, she remembers back to that scene we see in the beginning where she's naked in the coven, blindfolded. It seems like she's being initiated. And then back in her memory, again, at that ceremony, it seems like, again, maybe she is becoming a witch. And then we see Gayan get on top of her, but we don't see anything after that. But it suggests you know, is he the leader of this coven and she has to sleep with him in order to be initiated? Like, why else would he be on top of her in this ceremonial occasion? I don't know. And she looks very unwilling and upset. She's like recoiling from him. Mm -hmm. And there's even like this language about how a woman's center is the origin of all things. So we must worship it. Like he's pretty much saying, I need to fuck her. It's also very interesting that it's in this conversation that it is revealed that after this breakup with Jerry is when she found the coven and was initiated into this coven. She was obviously in a very vulnerable emotional space and was looking for a way to step back into her power. But that is how a lot of people get wrapped up in those types of things. And I don't think witchcraft of all things is the most insidious things that you could get wrapped up in. But it is still interesting that she had to relive trauma and re-experience trauma in order to join this particular sect or group or whatever. Yeah, I hate Gayen. Yeah, and especially with him characterized as like the kingpin in this coven, even though this is a coven of witches and we usually think of a coven of witches as primarily feminine. It seems like he is still this very masculine presence and he makes a lot of rules as to how the coven works. It kind of reminds me of just covens in general. I'm thinking back to the witch and how Black Phillip led Thomason to the coven in the woods. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it was so empowering to see her finally smile or maybe find some sense of normalcy or sisterhood with these new women in the woods. But, you know, the devil's still in charge. So it's kind of like, that's really interesting. You know, we have these covens, this feminine power, but it seems like there are still men or masculine entities making the rules for the sake of men. So then we're thrown back into a police precinct where we meet the new sergeant in town. His name is Griff Meadows, and he is the cop that actually pulled Elaine over in the beginning of the movie. I did not even know that. That is so cool. Tis him. The girl who was with Wayne in the beginning shows up to talk to Sergeant Meadows about Wayne's disappearance, and she tells them about this cabin in the woods that he has. So they pull up to this cabin in the woods to find old food rotting, the pea spell station that (laughs) Elaine has left behind, and eventually the grave. And I loved this shot where they start digging up the grave, and as he's putting the shovel into the ground, it cuts to a shot of Richard digging into a piece of chocolate cake. Oh, I'm like, oh, this is so fun. This is artistic. This is really nice. We're back in Elaine's living room and she has Richard over for tea and cake while Trish is out of town on her conference. Mm, Does she ever? It looks like good cake. And she also serves him an alcohol looking concoction in the biggest wine glass ever. The biggest glass of wine I've ever seen. Definitely could fit maybe two bottles of wine comfortably in that wine glass. And he drinks it with both hands. He looks just like a big kid drinking out of a sippy cup. It reminded me of Orphan First Kill with Esther drinking the glass of wine with two hands. Yes! (laughs) And then she seduces him with a dance. And always important to note that Aline's lingerie is always a full matching set. Also, I wrote her necklace pendants appear to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the movie goes on. (laughs) I also found it interesting that the type of lingerie changes between who she's trying to seduce. Oh. So you saw the rainbow lined outfit when she was seducing Wayne, who was this free love libertine. Like he even uses that word about how he like loves women. He's this hippy dippy literature guy, la la la. He's obviously on hallucinogenics. So looking at a rainbow outfit would 
be doing a lot for him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that was Elaine's doing. And a lot of this conversation with Richard prior to her seducing him is about how he has this fantasy of getting with a bad girl. You know, he just wants this sordid love affair. He wants to get into mischief. He never really got the chance to do all of that before he got married. And here she is and her lingerie is black and red and lacy and Mm. naughty. Like it looks straight out of somebody's fantasy. They begin to hook up. Richard says that Trish doesn't like when he talks like this. Elaine does this pick me shit where she's like, that's because Trish doesn't understand you like I do. She tells him, I'm the love witch. I'm your ultimate fantasy. And they sleep together. I wrote in my notes, this is a Leo DiCaprio on the couch moment. And she says, I'm the love witch. (laughs) There it is. There it is. I was pointing at the screen. And then this next scene, I wrote, Sergeant is going to see the local witch doctor as a standard of any movie with a witch in it. This made me laugh so hard. It's so funny. This I was, scene is so funny. <laughs> I was like, the conveniently placed expert. This is one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> it's so good. Where will the expert be? Just down the block and around the corner. We love a conveniently placed expert or therapist. <laughs> the therapist that will tell you everything. Yeah. Just break every code. HIPAA isn't a thing here. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yes. The conveniently placed <laughs> professor of witchcraft at the local university. And of course, he is the most white toast local looking motherfucker I have ever seen. You expect some sort of Rob Zombie looking dude to be... Or like a woman even. Exactly. But no, it's just this white toast British man. He (laughs) reminded me of fucking Alfred from the Batman movies. And I just love that the diagnosis of the sergeant pulling out the casual piss bottle bopping around in his suitcase... He just looks at it. He's like, oh, it's a witch bottle. And the (laughs) fact that it's just called a witch bottle, I was like, thanks. That's that's what your diagnosis is. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for your expertise. He goes on to say it protects witches from curses. He gives a lesson on all different types of witches. And it's also revealed that Wayne's Tox report found devil's weed, which is a highly toxic and potent hallucinogenic in his system. And his cause of death was heart failure, which I wrote, aw, he loved Elaine too much. Yeah, he like couldn't deal with his feelings. Meanwhile, there's another ceremony. There's some dancing in a circle. There are some light refreshments. Elaine catches Barbara up on the fact that she broke things off with Richard, the guy she had just slept with, Trish's husband, because he had become too obsessed with her. And this is where she says, I should have known he's a Pisces. This is where Pisces comes into play. Gayen also gropes her openly yes. at this thing. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, he just on? cups her left boob. Like, dude, get out of here. We see Richard doing some sulking and thinking back to his time with Elaine. Trish has returned now from Dallas and she's observing the strange behavior from her husband. She's not sure what to do. And Richard is just not himself. He is a sobbing mess, much like we saw with Wayne earlier. Meanwhile, Griff is still doing his detective work. He manages to trace the stuff he and his partner found at Wayne's house to Elaine because he stopped by the witchy store and Wendy was able to let him know, hey, we just got these bottles in. They're from this lady named Elaine. So he goes to see her. Her outfit is so fun. Number four, it's time number four (laughs) that I would like to step into this movie and try on the clothes and sit in the apartment. But we can tell right away when he meets Elaine in her apartment that he falls in love with her very shortly after meeting her for the first time or the second time, because I guess he saw her in the car in the beginning. But he also walks through cauldron smoke. Oh my gosh, yes! Because he's questioning her about Wayne's case. She denies knowing him. He's kind of relentless about, well, you're this witch. 
But then Elaine pulls some like sob story shit about how witchcraft is her religion and it saved her life. (laughs) And as Griff advances to comfort her, her cauldron explodes and he walks through a mist of smoke. And I think that's love potion because then he's like, wait, what? Like like his entire demeanor changes and then the eye zoom in thing happens. So she is absolutely working her magic. She claims that he's the man of her fate. She drew a knight of wands, which means better things, adventures, enthusiasm, and confidence. Ooh. And that if she ever drew that, she knew she'd soon meet the man she was going to marry. And here he is. Here's Griff. Yeah, so he takes her horseback riding. Yeah, he goes, do you like to ride, Elaine? (laughs) And I was like, oh, wait a minute. So they go horseback riding in like a fucking glade. Okay, this is a scene from a movie. And note, she's on a white horse, just like her princess fantasy. I just wrote, what is this Jim Halpert look? Like, (laughs) what are they wearing? They are wearing white button-ups and khakis and brown belts. It's the riding clothes, Shay. They look like Jim Halpert. (laughs) Both of them together. They're not sexy. Jim 1 and Jim 2. Jim 1 and Jim 2. Like, that's exactly (laughs) what they look like. I'm like, this is not hot to me. And guess what the fuck they stumble upon? Time number five, I would like to transport myself into this movie. A renaissance fair tucked nicely away into the glade. I'm sorry, This is my dream date. (laughs) I think it is your dream date. I can't believe what's going on. So they step into the Renaissance Fair. It's a very small, private Renaissance Fair. Turns out Elaine's whole coven is there. There's some dancing. And they decide that they are going to hold a mock wedding to celebrate all of the lovely things that are happening in the world. And they mock Mary, Griff, and Elaine. But then we get some real shit dialogue. Some real shit voiceovers. Lay it on me. And I have them all. (laughs) So we get this beautiful imagery of the wedding and Elaine is feeding Griff grapes. They look so in love. They're kissy kissy. And we get a voiceover from Griff. I'm not in love. It's not that I don't have sentiment. It's just that love is soft and you need guts for this business. I've seen guys get shot to death because they fell in love and got soft on the inside. I want an heir someday, but then I would need a wife. But love is something else. A man can get destroyed by things like that. It's like he's not even a man anymore. I never want to get like that. This also reminded me of the line in The Hills Have Eyes where the dad is talking about how villains threw dogs off of roofs at him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've seen men get shot because they fell in love. And it's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, (laughs) so then we get like the his and hers where then Elaine says, when you really love him, it's like fireworks and nothing else matters. You love all the little quirks about him. Those details about him become your whole life. Something inside you opens up like a flower and you realize you have more love to give than you ever thought possible. The more you know him, the more you love him. Griff. The more you get to know a woman, the less you can feel about her. At first, she's this incredible object of mystery that fulfills all of your wildest fantasies. Then she starts to reveal these little flaws. After a while, it gets pretty hard to care. Feminine ideal only exists in a man's mind. No woman could ever fulfill it. And sometimes when she tries to love you more, give you more, you feel like you're suffocating, drowning in estrogen. The most awful feeling. Yeah. Wow. There is a lot of really real dialogue in this movie. It's so real. Yeah, this is probably the realest moment. It just shows me how much I've never related to this perspective, though. True. Because I wrote, like, as a WLW, hello, drowning in estrogen is the best feeling. Because (laughs) 
it is the best feeling because you're both so intense and it's like oh my god I'm so in love and this is so fun and we care about each other so much and we know it's being equally met but it's the idea that the more a woman knows the more she loves and the more a man knows the more bored he gets obviously you don't want to generalize but there's some truth there yeah it's really compelling and also it's giving that this whole thing is doomed And it's also important to note that like the painting that Elaine has been painting this entire movie has been a naked queen on a white horse. And at the beginning, it's just her on this horse. And you can think that maybe Prince Charming is coming. And then about halfway through the movie, I guess, like maybe after Wayne, Prince Charming is on the ground with his heart ripped out. So it's kind of giving a little bit of foreshadowing as to how Elaine is going to receive her fulfillment because Griff is dressed like her Prince Charming. He's got this white shirt on. They leave the ceremony on a white horse. It's like, oh my God, this is everything that she wants. And this is also the first time that we see Elaine actually letting go and being happy. She's smiling. Like Elaine is not a very emotive person. Like she's very stoic. And when she's acting, she knows how to stay in control. But this is the most giddy we see her. And we're happy for her until we hear Griff's dialogue. And we're like, oh, no, like the Mm -hmm. second you let your guard down, like you're going to get fucking crushed. So back at work, Griff's partner tries to convince him that Elaine is bad news. He's trying to spell out for him, look, this is the evidence we found. This is the proximity Elaine has to the case. Oh, not to mention, not only did Wayne die of this heart attack, but Elaine's ex-husband, Jerry, also died from a drug overdose before he was going to remarry, even though he didn't have a history of participating in recreational drugs. But Griff punches him and leaves. He doesn't want to hear it from his partner. He can't stand it. Meanwhile, while Griff is battling with his consciousness, Richard is found dead in his bathtub, discovered by his wife, Trish. And we can assume that he had killed himself because he was so heartbroken over his finished affair with Elaine. This next scene is fucking wild this is the most uncomfortable tea room scene it is they are back in the tea room it is elaine and it is trish and i wrote e is for evil she is sitting there listening to trish talk about how she could have tried harder to please richard and be the woman that he wanted what a long con because obviously trish doesn't know that elaine was the other woman mm-hmm. but trish knows that richard had an affair and that this affair led richard to kill himself Trish says, like, I know he had an affair. If I ever found out who she was, I'd rip it to pieces. And then I wrote, it's such a woman thing to be like, but I'll stop talking about myself, even though I really need to be heard right now. What's up with you? Because, <laughs> because she's like, oh, enough about me and my dead husband. Like, what's going on with you? And she just responds with Trish. I'm in love. (laughs) I laughed so fucking hard. It was so fun. Yes, we all know somebody who's like that, though. And she shows Trish her big engagement ring. Trish even reflects on how funny it was the last time we were here. I was showing you my engagement ring. And now you're showing me your mock wedding engagement ring from the Renaissance Fair. Somehow, Elaine ends up taking it off to give it to Trish to try on. And then Trish gets caught up, I guess, in this reflection that I just recounted and forgets that she's wearing it. So that when Elaine leaves, Trish only realizes after Elaine is gone that she's still wearing the ring. So then we get another interesting scene where Trish goes into the apartment to give the ring back to Elaine, but Elaine is not there. But I suppose Elaine left her door unlocked or since Trish had worked so closely in the building, maybe she has a key, she just let herself in. 
She was gonna leave the ring on a table in the living room, but then somehow is drawn maybe by her own curiosity further inside. And she makes it all the way into Elaine's bedroom where she puts the ring on the dresser and notices Elaine's wig her makeup. She opens the top dresser drawer and sees her lingerie. She sees her gorgeous sheer robe with fuzzy accents hanging up. And what does she do? She plays dress up. (laughs) I wrote, this is giving old Pearl dressing up like Maxine and X. Yes. Oh my gosh. She's like, girl, what are you doing? She's like putting on her makeup all the same. And then she's walking around the room and sees a photo of Richard on Elaine's nightstand. It's not only a photo of Richard. It's a shrine to all the dead men in Elaine's life. (laughs) But of course, Richard is the one that catches her eye and makes her realize that it was Elaine who was the other woman. And she is the reason, probably according to Trish, and we know as the viewer, why Richard is dead. She even goes through her drawers and finds the love spell that Elaine had cast on Richard. And this is where Elaine approaches with a dagger from behind. But I wrote, fumbles the fucking bag as Trish disarms her, smacks the shit out of her, calls her a horror and tells her that she'll burn for this. And Elaine is so upset. She's like crying. She looks so weak in this moment, which I would not have expected. But I think it is so important to note how completely helpless she is when it comes to Trish. What did you think about that? Yeah, I was trying to put my thoughts together on like what that meant. Is it that Trish saw her exactly for who she was? Because that's something that I noted in my post plot notes is that the only people that call Elaine out on her shit are Barbara and Trish being like, dude, you can't abuse these love spells or you have these fairy tale patriarchal ideas and it's not good for you. So the fact that the person who can call her out the most is calling her or saying that she's going to burn for all of this, like she knows that anything else that she's receiving from men is because of the influence that she has over them. But knowing that Trish sees her exactly for who she is and that there's probably truth to that or that she is losing like a genuine bond that she has, even if Elaine didn't take care of it in the way that she wanted to. That was my thought, but what did you think? I think it must be something like that. Like she knows in the eyes of Trish that she has done wrong. I think it shows that she understands that she holds accountability in what she's doing, that she fears Trish, that she knows she's betraying that bond. And I I like what you said about that too. Like even though Elaine doesn't always know her audience, it is still the oldest bond that we, the viewer, see her have with another woman. Now we know she knows Barbara and she has a coven of witches that she's known for longer. But for us, Trish is there from one of the early, early scenes. And Trish even makes an effort to get to know Elaine. So she really extends Elaine a lot of respect, interest, and Elaine squanders it away because she goes after Richard. Yeah, I mean, she can't really hide from herself in the eyes of Trish. And I think you said it really well. She sees her for who she is and what she's doing. But did she learn her lesson? No. No. Because we fade into a ceremony with Elaine laying on a table in the coven chanting and them doing a binding spell a la the craft (laughs) between her and Griff, which is interesting talking about this next scene. We are back at the burlesque club. Star and Moon are dancing and Griff sits drinking. Griff listens as the bartender and the cocktail waitresses talk about Wayne's case and conclude the witches must have done it based on the evidence they read that was there, which is the truth that Griff didn't want to come to. 
But Elaine enters and sits with Griff, starts smoking, and Griff says that her DNA connects her to Wayne's scene and that Trish ratted her out. So Elaine lights a cigarette and says, so I was a bad girl. Are you going to punish me? Which is like such cheap dialogue. This moment feels like she's falling back on her experience fulfilling certain fantasies at certain times and hoping that something will stick so she can keep Griff secured. Exactly. And Griff is also holding her accountable, saying, I don't know what kind of person that could do this. But Elaine says, listen, they died from loving me too much. I didn't kill anybody. I just used sex magic to make love magic. And I didn't realize how strong love could be. And he's like, what you call love is borderline personality disorder. (laughs) And then she calls him a narcissist. And I thought that this language was interesting, being that this is a very 2016 involvement in talking about dating plugged into the 60s style movie, because those terms were not a thing back then, from what little I know. Also, DNA wasn't really a thing in the 1960s, and neither was cell phone use. And we see Trish use a cell phone at one point, which Mm -hmm. completely disarmed me. Right. Because these movies are so 1960s, except for random moments when they're not. But their conversation is overheard by Lyle and his gang, aka the people from the cabaret that hate witches. (laughs) And they begin to advance on Elaine and attack her because they realize that she is a witch. And they begin to try to sexually assault her. They throw her on the ground. We see a couple men start to unbutton their pants as if they're about to advance on her even more. But Griff helps her escape. He's able to punch some guys in a really cool masculine fight scene and kind of save her in a very like, quote unquote, Prince Charming kind of way, get her safe to the car and take her back to her apartment. It reminds me of the scene of Mother. Yes! Where they like throw her down and everything like that. Like it is hard to watch. And there's also some dialogue between the two shortly before this happens that I think is the most real that it gets in terms of why Griff sees her for how she is and why Elaine is the way that she is. Because Griff says that Elaine will never get enough love. Even when a man loves her so much, it kills him. It's not enough for her. You're a bottomless hole. You doll yourself up and do this Stepford wife thing thinking men will fall at your feet, but your creepy little sex act doesn't work for me. I don't love you. And that is the truth that she needs to hear is that even if you're doing this binding ritual on me, you are not doing enough to make yourself lovable because you're not even relying on yourself to be loved, if that makes sense. And she says, how can you stand there and boast about being immune to love? All my life have been tossed in the garbage except with men who wanted to use me for my body. So I decided to find my own power. That means I take what I need from men, not the other way around. And it's interesting that she says this shortly before she almost gets mass assaulted by a room full of men, right? Like the fact that she taking her power back from men who have taken it away from her is all of a sudden seen as this evil, monstrous, horrible thing. But Griff is pretty much saying, your shit doesn't work on me and I see you for what you are. And that's what makes her like snap at the end. So once back at the apartment, Elaine cocks a drink for Griff, as she did for the others so many times, but he does not drink it, and he drops it on the floor. We get this shot of the liquid spread out over the indigo carpet and this metal goblet laying on the floor, realizing what is happening here, that Griff is resisting her magic, that he does not love her. She starts to shrink back in disbelief at his refusal and ends up grabbing her dagger. And as Griff lay back on the bed resting from the chaos of the night, she gets on the bed and stabs him in the heart. 
she looks up to the painting that we saw so many times before and realizes that this scene here now in the room with her dagger in hand, having stabbed Griff multiple times in the chest, mirrors that same painting of the lovely lady standing over a dead man's body holding his heart in her hand. And with Griff lying dead next to her, she begins to fantasize about their mock wedding as if it was real. And that is where the movie ends. Okay, so I do have some post-plot stuff. Honestly, I thought I would find more about this movie. Maybe I didn't look deep enough, but I did find some really interesting information from, again, that Girls on Tops website (laughs) in the article, In Bloom, A Yonic Reading of the Love Witch. So first of all, I did look up the definition of yonic because I did not know what it meant. And essentially, it's an adjective relating to or shaped like a yoni or a representation of the external female genitals as a symbol of shakti or a female generative power. The rose is a yonic symbol associated with generation and purity. So Girls on Tops writes, It is often easy to point out obvious sexual imagery in film history. Phallic symbolism is everywhere, from guns to knives to the erect chest buster creatures in Ridley Scott's Alien. Yet, it's harder to define the phallic's sexual counterpart, the yonic, or to use the language of the love witch, the woman's, quote, earthly body, the spiritual essence, the womb. The yonic is the vulvic embedded symbol, caves, blooming flowers, a bloody heart, shells, and the rippling sea, ripe fruits, the folds of fabric, or even iconography of the Virgin Mary, hands outstretched and welcoming. As Tilda Friedholm states, the cinematic yonic, quote, fills the screen. We receive them in their muteness. They make an impression. Upon countless rewatches of Villers' film, it is impossible to ignore the Yonic emblems within her work, and how through the privileging of vulvic imagery, the love witch fights against patriarchal structures of the sexualized female body. The love witch calls out the symbols of sexual imagery, documenting their usage from the perspective of the murderous and the lovesick protagonist Elaine, as well as through the film's props. As Laura Mulvey understands phallic figurations to, quote, demonstrate the way the unconscious of patriarchal society has structured film form, Biller redirects the viewer's gaze toward the sexual nexus of horror and tragedy, the filmmaker's ability to inspire fear of female sexuality. What do you think? I mean, it's all so obvious, but like not at the same time. I feel like I remember watching this and being like, whoever set design this needs a fucking award or whatever (laughs) like that, because the imagery is everywhere to the point where you get used to it. But I feel like I'm more used to it because I'm used to being in like sapphic friends homes and seeing tits and flowers and all that kind of stuff everywhere. But I could see how images like that are kind of meant to comfort women, but add that level of discomfort to men, like even the presence of this strong color. I would want to watch it again just to see the type of symbolism and imagery that is present throughout. There is a lot of its aesthetic that envelops you into how she sees the world. Yeah, I would want to go back, rewatch as well, because for me, I think I was caught up in the dialogue. Like there was a lot of this really masculine centered dialogue. And I think I was missing the feminine centered iconography in the background. So continuing with an excerpt from this article, yet Biller contests this, again, this idea of heterosexuality on the screen, voyeurism, this idea of constructed femininity. 
the article writes, the love witch reveals in its campiness of its overindulgence in love and heterosexual passions. An early scene between Elaine and Trish has the two women arguing about male attention over tea and cake, which neither of them consume. Quote, what do men want? Asks Trish. Elaine replies, to give them total freedom in whatever they want to do or be. The setting itself is a uterine homage. The women's only tea room with its blush pink walls, salmon chairs, clothing and accessories the color of blood and Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> oh my god. The tea room, the setting of consumption, reveals in girlishness and pink claustrophobia. Elaine speaks of giving men their fantasy, and through this, Biller confronts the labor of female performance, of desire as something to give. In Biller's own words, the love witch is about love and is thus a tragedy. Damn. Like, what is this website? Who are you? It looks like they sell merch. (laughs) (laughs) They deserve that we buy it at this point from what we're getting from it. Girls on tops. It's like... You can literally buy a shirt with like girls on it or like names on it. I got to do more research on this website, honestly. This reminds me of that Barry website from last week. You got something about Dante's Inferno from like this is Barry.com. Our sixth favorite website. Oh my God. Add this is Barry on there. Who is he? He knows a lot. He's sharing it. So continuing on, if Elaine cannot exist without male attention, what happens when that attention disappears? Elaine simply continues. Biller refuses to reduce women to merely their connection to men. In fact, every character within the film exists only in relation to Elaine, regardless of her need for love, disproving Trisha's claims. Isn't that interesting? Elaine is going to continue in spite of herself, though, because she warps herself around the man she's pursuing at any given time. Yeah, she continues, but at what trajectory and what cost? Like, she has no sense of consistency outside of witchcraft, which could be enough, but a lot of it is in her pursuit of being adored, and she can't do that by herself. And it's not like we find her being adored in the company of these other women in this coven, even though there's plenty. Like, she just wants this male adoration, and the second that that male adoration almost gets to be feminine... Because we even see her being disgusted by this multiple times throughout the film. We see her being like, oh, he's crying like a little girl. He's not acting like a man. And it's like, what exactly are you looking for? That's such a good point. Yeah, she is so turned off when the men in her life actually start showing her that vulnerability that one might imagine she would be looking for in a romantic partnership. I had even wrote in my notes, she would have continued to suffer for Griff had he not rejected her. Had he not denied her sexual advances where she was like, oh, baby, let me take care of you, all this, all that. And he's just staring very stony faced ahead and not engaging her. He would have given her a baby, his heir, and she would have remained disappointed and slavish to him, Mm. in my view. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, maybe because she's coming to her power with this witchcraft, she would have found something else. But he was her ideal and he still rejected her. Had he not rejected you, you would have continued loving him. So what is that actually saying about you? That is really interesting. Like the difference between unrequited love and pure rejection. It seems like that rejection element is what led her to kill Jerry in the first place. It's not the unanswered question. It's the answered question, which is no. (laughs) What do you think this movie is about? I think it's about the socialization that women are given to seek love out 
as your final form. I feel as though this movie is about the dangers of holding on to that fairy tale and that your personhood can be put to the side or sacrificed once you have found this union that is going to give you purpose and the dangers that lie in continuing to pursue that in spite of yourself. Because we never see Elaine really escaping from that, even when she has found other avenues of empowerment. Like we see her find this witchcraft after this breakup with Jerry, and we see her like making these little witch bottles for the apothecary. She has this business going, she's making (laughs) art, she's doing all of these things. But her relationships with the women in her life are so dependent on her talking about men and love and achievement and fulfillment. Like she does not have any relationships in this movie that are independent of her pursuit of love. So it's showing the consequences of no matter how you change your outfit or you put on empowerment, women are socialized with this idea that they are not complete until they find their prince, princess, royalty, whomever, union, partnership. Even at the end, we do not see Elaine unlearning that. We see her diving deeper into delusion that she found it and she completed her cycle, but it was like this Romeo and Juliet tragedy. And I even had said this to Elise prior to recording of like, this movie is reminiscent of some of the shit I see on TikTok about love spells and manifestation and tarot. And that's not to say that any of that is unvalid or not true for people who practice it. But this idea of wanting and yearning is a practice and wanting and manifesting is something that you should be aspiring to where a masculine version of attainment is work hard, earn this, do that. And women's version of attainment is wish for this, have faith, do this, have hope, pray, whatever it is. Like it's very different in the way that we're told to achieve and attain things societally. So at the end of the day, I see Elaine as a very sad character who is always just going to live in this sense of yearning and not cultivating a sense of self that is worthy to be loved, Mm. but instead just hoping to be someone who can be adored. I think that's really well said. I really do. And I think listening to you, it makes me think about the added symbolic meaning of her being a witch. Witches are, I think, one of the most powerful depictions of femininity. And it's like if we have the ultimate feminine being still wrapped up in this socialization I think it is even more depressing because I think it really hits home, you know, how invasive these patriarchal lessons are and how difficult they are, even when the reality is staring you in the face to unlearn these lessons and try to, like you said, cultivate a version of yourself worth loving or that you want to love. Yeah, I agree. It does feel ultimately sad at the end, even though the technicolor reality of the filmography might have us tricked into thinking otherwise. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Hey, love yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, By the way, have you heard of Valloween? Okay, last thing about TikTok. I stumbled upon a new aesthetic and it's called Valloween. And think of dark academia, but with pink. So like pink melted candles and like little Cupid angels and kind of tea room aesthetic, but with gothic undertones. I love that. Same. So I'm going to be evoking some Valloween this Valentine's Day. (laughs) Um, I think the love witch would be proud thinking about the tea room. And we hope you enjoyed this horror, but not so horror (laughs) movie. 
We have another sweet one for you next week. It's very sweet. I agree. Ha 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 ha. Okay. If you would like to keep up with what we're doing next, we usually give a couple days heads up. Follow us on Instagram at The Horrors Podcast. And you can also feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.